Hello and welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting across North America and right there in your pocket via the podcast feed. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, recording uh, from the Central European studio, always having a good time here covering the uh, consumer topics and news. Normally you'd hear from my colleague David Clement. He's going to be out today. He's, uh, yeah, I don't want to dox him too much, but let's just say he's about to make a big old purchase and uh, he needs some time to get all that covered. So it's uh, good for good for uh, the economy. Uh, we give our best to David as he gets his house in order, uh, literally. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for what we've got for everybody here today. Um, we're actually going to play an interview later that we conducted with um, now the head of the Canadian Conservative Party, Pierre Poilievre. Uh, we recorded an interview with him, I believe, last year, pretty much on the issues that he's still talking about today. Housing, inflation, the economy, uh, trying to get rid of the gatekeepers, as it were. He was uh, one of the first ones who coined that. So we're very excited about what is happening with Poilievre and how he is raising various consumer issues. There might be different sort of partisan topics that are being discussed at the moment, but with Pierre Poliev there, we can at least discuss some of these consumer issues. It's not necessarily a personality game. We can actually dive into the topics. So excited about that. I'll play that. Um, it'll be in the second segment. Uh, but apart from that, we've, uh, we've got a couple things to resume here to give you a summary when it comes to consumer news and consumer choice. And uh, if you guys are tuning in for the first time, welcome. If uh, you I have been subscribing all week and all year and last year and the year before that. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We've been on the radio since uh, January 2020, going forward every single week with some new Consumer Choice content. Uh, you can find uh, all the archives there, consumerchoiceradio.com. We've got uh, plenty more. And um, David and I, when we started the program, we were in January, I think it was about mid January or so, third week. So it's probably the third episode ever. We were actually broadcasting from Davos, Switzerland. So we, as the Consumer Choice Center, took a little field trip, got on planes, trains, and automobiles, and decided to visit the lovely town of Davos, not only for its beautiful landscapes and mountain towns and beautiful cafes, but also because it's, it is the location of the World Economic Forum. Now, if you've listened to any talk radio in the past two years, you've probably heard a lot about the World Economic Forum. <laughs> so I'd say we were early adopters. Uh, the, our entire reason for being there, at least back uh, in 2020, uh, there we were organizing a, a couple of events. And the entire idea was that, you know, this was um, the center of the of basically the Western world, when you talk about finance, when you talk about politics, and we wanted to try to organize an event and sort of do that on the so-called fringes of the larger World Economic Forum, which, by the way, is like $50,000 a pop for a ticket, so couldn't afford that. But we were able to organize our own event, organize our own Airbnbs. Uh, we had events on technology policy on cannabis legalization, the cannabis conclave, we called it, brought together different parts of industry, consumer groups, regulators, um, and we're able to do the same with 5G and technology. And we had a pretty darn good time. 
That was uh, episode three, David and I are in person. It's actually the only episode that we've ever recorded in person. Now that I think about it. Uh, we recorded that uh, January, I think it was around January 18, 2020, before COVID was on everybody's lips. Um, it was probably already in my body at that point, to be honest. Um, but uh, we definitely had a great time there. And I mentioned Davos because it is once more the World Economic Forum next week. So I will actually be participating. And uh, I'll be, you know, taking a little flight, figuring out how, how to get there, going to the Airbnb and representing the Consumer Choice brand. Our organization, we're going to have two events. We uh, rented out a restaurant and uh, we'll be holding that for uh, the interested folks of, of Davos. And uh, look, anybody can really join our event registering. Um, for the World Economic Forum stuff, you need to pay that $50,000 ticket. You get this nice little white badge. Uh, but there's plenty of, of you know people looking for freebies all throughout the town and all throughout the week, which is basically us. That's what we do. But we are able to kind of put together this event and that's a way that we're able to essentially join the party, uh, be able to talk to certain people, introduce folks. Hey, look, if we're able to introduce the consumer choice message uh, rather than the typical message of Davos, as it were, why not? Maybe you disagree. Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, we do have the, uh, the email where you guys can contact us um, over there at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com uh, also on on the twitters uh, we do have an active account there is just consumer c radio so if you've got any uh customer complaints as it were <laughs> be sure to hit us up there and we get a response uh this year we've got two events uh one is um it's called the path forward liberal democracies and technology policy this one is discussing uh the various issues that we're having with uh, the role of digital policies and then the sort of focus on geopolitics. And we have the, the rise of the authoritarian regimes like Russia, like China, the Chinese Communist Party. And then we have people in liberal democracies. Uh, those of you who are in the US, Canada, most of Europe, most of these places are liberal democracies. And we have a lot of technology that is being exported from places like China, where the Chinese Communist Party has ultimate rule. And there's a lot of different questions to ask about technologies like Huawei or apps like TikTok, where they get their data, what are they doing with their data, who has access to that data, what can they see, how are they using it. Uh, so we have an event in Davos uh, on the 18th, January. That'll be going on, that'll be a lot of fun. And then uh, our colleague Bill Vietz, who you've heard uh, a couple times on this program, uh, he will be organizing the Coping with Uncertainty in a post-pandemic world event. Uh, this one's all about mental health, personal lives, work-life balance, uh, the future, <laughs> coping with anxiety, uh, all kinds of little micro-solutions that uh, we don't really need to have government legislation for. So it's an interesting little hook to get people in the door. Uh, overall, two great events. I'm very excited about not just our stuff, but being in the town and I'm not going to say that we're the opposition, but, you know, it is on our website. We have been called the so-called Rebels of Davos. That is because we went there and organized a cannabis event. <laughs> so everyone else is talking about, you know, whatever, poverty, clean water, or uh, 
Democracy in Peril, and we're talking about legalizing cannabis. So we had a great time there. It's a lot of fun. I will give you guys either a recap um, sometime next week, or we'll be able to actually do some some live interviews. I'm hoping that we can actually do some live interviews there. Uh, we'll definitely have some a good back and forth with our colleague Bill Vietz, your favorite Luxemburger. Did you know you knew a Luxemburger? Now you know. So we'll we'll talk to Bill. We'll probably uh, put that up, play it on the radio show, and then give you guys a little bit of an insight, an insider's ticket, VIP to what is happening in Davos, Switzerland next week during the World Economic Forum. Uh, we'll see how many things we can sneak into. <laughs> Don't worry, we follow all the laws here and procedures and uh, we'll be vetted, whatever that means, uh, in Switzerland. So we'll be able to access these places and uh, yeah. Hey man, we're doing that for you. We're doing that for the average consumer. There's a, a lot of events that are being held and much of their themes or foci are all about ways that they can introduce new regulation, new laws, new restrictions, things that might harm your consumer choice, your personal freedom. So we'll be there to report on it and uh, report back. And one thing that will definitely be a focus, energy. So there's a couple of energy events that are happening in Davos. And, it, you know, it's just the perfect time to discuss this because we had a big old uh, energy question that, and you got to love when this happens, was discussed first in the U.S., spilled over into Canada, and basically, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we can see this is always happens. Of course, I'm talking about natural gas stoves. Y'all got any natural gas stoves in your homes? So there's a, an organization or an agency in the U.S. known as the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And its main commissioner, Richard Tremka Jr., he's been speaking recently in a couple of interviews, and he had mentioned how uh, a federal ban on gas stoves is on the table amid rising concerns about harmful indoor air pollutants. So we wrote a nice little blog piece about this on consumerchoicecenter.org, in which we kind of go through the claims that are made by uh, Mr. Trumka Jr. and some of the green activists the journalists and the academics, um, who in this circumstance we can call the degrowthers, that's fine to say, uh, they've taken up the agency's call uh, to basically not just say, hey, gas stoves are bad for your health, but they're also very bad for the environment. And there's even an article in the New York Magazine asking, rather innocently, are gas stoves the new cigarettes? So we kind of know what, <laughs> what happens after that. Uh, and, you know, all of this is interesting because the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed uh, not too long ago, does make everybody eligible. You get a nice little tax rebate if you swap out your natural gas stove for an electric one. You can get up to 840 bucks, which basically subsidizes uh, your new uh, kitchen equipment. Uh, but this is uh, sort of the, the ongoing beating. You know, energy is obviously a big concern for continental Europe. We're uh, in... We're getting into the colder temperatures now into winter, and people are going to be relying more on natural gas, not just for heating, but also for cooking. And what an opportune time, say our federal agencies, to go in and talk about new rules that would effectively outlaw natural gas stoves going forward. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to come to your house, dispatch agents, and uh, put your natural gas stove on a flatbed. We've seen some great memes about that, but it, it's 
a new iteration of the argument of sort of progress, modernity versus what we would call climate degrowtherism, the degrowth movement. So they normally are the environmentalists, the same ones who are gluing their hands to the road or throwing paint on the Mona Lisa. Uh, they're concerned about additional greenhouse gases, about the impact of climate change, about us using too much energy, about oil, and would love for everybody to be able to switch to solar, wind, wave energy, all of these different renewables, uh, which is just not in the cards as of yet. You know, we have all kinds of different options, sure, but only a good number of them are dense enough and provide enough energy to power grids and allow us to eat our homes. I mean, allow for the Canadians listening, all of you to survive in the winter. So there's all kinds of different arguments about health, obviously, that what they're discussing is when your stove is off, uh, there might be a tiny bit of leakage. So there would be essentially nitrous oxides that would be leaking into your home. But again, everybody's got different vintage, uh, venting systems in their homes. They have all kinds of different ventilation that gets rid of that problem. So realistically, it's not an issue. And all the studies have proven that. Uh, however, this has been brought to the top of concern, and it's sparked a bit of a culture war. You've probably already heard about this, and maybe you've already had an argument at the water cooler. But this is something that we deal with all the time. We are consumer advocates. Uh, we're not calling for a ban. Uh, for us, you know, we prefer to be tech neutral. We say, hey, look, consumers should have the right to choose natural gas stoves, wood stoves, electric stoves, in induction if they want. Uh, there's all kinds of different options out there, and they exist because people have different preferences, and I think we have to respect that. But many of these agencies and uh, a lot of the activists don't want that. They like to impose mandates. They like telling people what to do. And that makes it very problematic because how are you supposed to exercise your consumer choice if you don't even have those kind of options? So it's all fairly upsetting. Uh, we'll see. I mean, look, government is a complicated beast. It takes many different agencies a lot of coordination to get stuff passed that ain't gonna happen hopefully <laughs> all right uh, as promised we're gonna play a clip uh, of our interview with uh, pierre polievre uh, keep in mind this is last year so there's a couple things that have changed since he's now the leader of the conservative party of canada and then uh give you guys a little bit of a preview of the davos i'll play a clip from our, our first episode uh, in davos there uh, but yeah until next week i'll talk to you guys very soon Consumer Choice Radio. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 AM and the Big Talker FM. Uh, it is with great pleasure that I introduce our next guest. He is the Member of Parliament for Carleton. He served as both the Minister of Democratic Reform and Minister of Employment and Social Development under Prime Minister Stephen Harper and is currently the critic for jobs and industry. Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, Pierre Polyev. Good to be with you. Great, great. Well, you've been um, hammering away at some pretty key consumer topics, whether it be um, plastic policy or inflation and uh, all sorts of good stuffs, but I figured we'd start on we start on plastics because recently I saw a rather 
cheeky video um, of you asking someone testifying um, or providing comment to to uh, committee what they would do or how the meeting would continue if you actually banned those plastic headsets like the one you're wearing right now. And so what's your take on what the government's doing, the SEPA toxic designation, the ban of certain products? Is this the right way to go or is there a better way for us to, to deal with plastic waste? No and yes. No, it's not the right way to go. And yes, there's a better way. Uh, quick recap, though, of that committee engagement. Uh, we were uh, having uh, hearings on the green recovery um, at industry committee and uh, an environmental activist came on and said she wanted to ban plastic products. Well, I happened to know what kind of headset she was wearing because all members, uh, all witnesses and MPs are issued the very same headset. They're mailed to their houses so that they can speak clearly enough for the French English transla translators to hear them. And I know this uh, headset, which I'm wearing now and she was wearing then, is made almost exclusively of plastic, with some exceptions, but it could not exist without plastic. And therefore, she could not be giving the very testimony to ban plastic that she was giving uh, through that headset uh, if her ban was in place. Now, it seems like a sort of a cheeky gotcha moment, but it's actually an illustrative of a larger truth. Uh, and that is uh, that uh, while plastics, for reasons I don't fully understand, have to have a bad reputation, uh, they are absolutely essential for our way of life. Uh, in the last year uh, of uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, we have needed plastics more than ever. Uh, we're all just getting vaccinated. Well, the uh, the um, needles that uh, the vials that contain our not the vials, but the um, the tubes that contain the original um, vaccine through, uh, are made of plastic. Uh, so too are the, those, those compression buttons made of plastic. Um, the, you know, we're all having those pictures of tape, uh, you know, of the band-aid or tape over, uh, our, uh, sort of entry point and, uh, the tape and the band-aids require plastic. Um, so, so you've got uh, EpiPens that require plastic. Uh, there are plastic in certain types of face masks. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, in other words, we could not have got through the pandemic without plastic. Uh, and the idea that we would drive plastic production out of Canada means that if there were ever another pandemic, we would be even more dependent on the West rest of the world to, to supply us with uh, essentials. You know, plastics are durable, they're hygienic, they're moldable, and they're one of the most recyclable uh, uh, things on planet Earth uh, because they can simply be melted down and remolded into something different. Uh, small additions and subtractions of chemical compounds can alter their chemistry and make a new product. Uh, so as the market demands one go from one thing to another, you can take the same uh, chemistry, chemistry and convert it into something different for another use. Uh, that is not true of almost all other products. So what we should be doing is encouraging Canada to become a super hub of plastic recycling. Um, and uh, you can basically reuse those molecules again and again and again and again for literally a generation. So our great-great-grandkids are still using the same plastic molecules that we uh, had manufactured in this generation. That is uh, something you can't say about almost any other product. So um, in other words, let's become a, a plastic recycling superpower instead of just driving production to other places and paying them to import their goods. 
So you're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We're speaking with Canadian Member of Parliament P.I., Poilevre, uh, pleasure to talk to you. And one of the most entertaining follows on social media in terms of uh, Anglosphere politicians, I think, who, who speak for a lot of us who can't be in those chambers or rooms uh, or locked in your offices, whatever it might be. Uh, I have a question here about inflation. Uh, you put out a, yes. a video not long ago about the inflation tax. I think it's something that many consumers don't necessarily understand. It's it's very high-winded. It's up in the clouds. Could you explain a bit what you mean by inflation tax and how you think the current government is leading Canadians astray on that? Well, the inflation tax is one of the oldest tricks in the book for emperors, kings, dictators, prime ministers, and presidents. I mean, nobody like nobody likes taxes, and therefore leaders don't like to be caught raising them. Uh, but by contrast, leaders love to spend other people's money. Um, so in the olden days, uh, what uh, kings and emperors used to do is just create more cash uh, in order to spend it. Uh, so, for example, I think of the of Henry VIII. Um, he is known for beheading his subjects, but he was also known for clipping his coins. Um, and um, most famously, he became known as Old Copper Nose. And that was because he was trying to make more and more British pounds. And a British pound at that time was actually a pound of silver. But he ran out of silver because he was making so many British pounds. So what did he do? He melted them down and he reminted them entirely full of copper with a tiny layer of silver on the outside to trick his subjects into thinking that they were still getting a silver pound. But what would happen is his face was on, on the coin and it faced outward rather than in a profile view. And what is the what, what comes out the most, what protrudes the most? His nose. And so his nose would run against, rub against the inside of people's pockets and money sacks. And the rest of his face would remain silver, but his nose would be exposed as copper. So you'd have the silver face and a red copper nose. Uh, the silver face was like the mask that a bank robber would wear when he's stealing from a bank. Well, this was the mask, the silver mask that a king was wearing when he was robbing his people. Uh, and of course, what happened is that the silver content went down by about 87% and prices in British pounds went up by about 87%, right? Because you had more coins chasing fewer goods. Well, the same thing happened uh, in the Weimar Republic in the 1920s when they printed cash. Uh, you needed a, a, a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy a loaf of bread. You needed to order all your beer when you first got to the bar because by the end of the night, beer prices would be more expensive. Uh, and, and in more modern sense, in the 1970s, we saw Pierre Elliott Trudeau uh, and Richard Nixon and others print money, and they caused massive inflation, which led to higher interest rates. Right now, uh, we are experiencing 10-year highs in overall inflation, uh, the biggest housing price increases in Canadian history. Um, and that has coincided with the central bank increasing the money supply in Canada by $350 billion dollars. Uh, that is a 20% increase, the biggest increase since 1974. Um, it began in March 2020 and continues right through to the present. And they've done it by buying up government debt in order to allow Trudeau to borrow money that he never would have been able to, to get on normal lending markets because no one would lend him that much money. And so the increase in the money supply has driven up asset prices and is beginning to drive up CPI consumer prices as well. Uh, the result, of course, is a, a, a massive wealth transfer from the working class wage earner to the wealthy 
a capitalist asset holder. If you own assets uh, and, and you know big valuable assets, well, you've gotten a lot richer because those assets have, have inflated in price. But if you just live off your wages, well, your wages are shrinking in real inflation-adjusted value, so you've had a pay cut. So what, what the inflation tax does, in addition to raising cash for the government, is it in, inflates the price of the things the rich own and that the poor must buy. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, as I've been following this, it, the conversation has shifted. It was first, inflation isn't happening. Then it was, inflation is just transitory, right. guys. It's just transitory. It's going to yeah. come and it's going to go. And now we're starting to see like the realization of, oh, it's here. And we're gonna it's gonna be maintained and it's gonna be reasonable and we're somehow not we're not gonna have to raise rates that bad. It's not gonna be that bad. Um so it's just one of those things where we're kind of slowly seeing this play out in real time as um some of us, with yourself included, have kind of forecasted. Um another issue that that is it's related to the inflation discussion, but it's it's one of the ones that I haven't seen many really carry the banner for is housing prices. Um, it, it, I mean, I, I crunched some numbers today. I'm in the greater Toronto area and a, a house down the street from me or around the corner um, from from where we rent uh, essentially outperformed the top performing hedge fund from 2018 until to, today. So if you had money and you put it down as a down payment and you gave it to the, the most powerful hedge fund in the world, You'd be poorer today with your money with that hedge fund than you would be otherwise if you had been able to buy that house. And for me, as someone who would maybe one day like to own a house, it just feels so um, discomforting because there's just no way, unless your wages skyrocket, there's no way to really get there. And so I wanted to pick your brain on what the federal government can do to help curb this issue of, of kind of runaway housing prices and that 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 disparity and that gap between those who can afford and those who will probably never be able to afford a house. Well, it's not what the government can do. It's what the government must stop doing. Uh, the government is not failing to respond to rising housing prices. It is causing rising housing prices. Uh, the culprit is money printing. Uh, that's the main federal culprit. And I can prove it by looking at the data and the charts. So which, this is what's interesting. In March and April of 2020, when COVID hit, housing prices went down and they were on a sharp tra downward trajectory. The major housing insurer in Canada, CMHC, predicted that the housing prices would drop 10 to 14%. And why wouldn't they? If the GDP is drop, you know, the GDP dropped by five and a half percent. We lost $120 billion of economic activity in 2020. You would expect that the result would be lower housing prices. People have less wages with which to buy houses. There's higher unemployment, which means fewer people could qualify for a mortgage in the first place. Uh, you would just assume that housing prices would drop. But the government started printing money. And it was only after that printed money hit the market that price, prices reversed and started going back up. So you have uh, March and April prices drop. All the central bank money pours in and they turn, the prices turn around and start going back up. Uh, and just for some symmetry here, from April 2020 to April 2021, 
mortgage lending went up by 41% and housing prices went up by 42%. So that can't be a coincidence. Now, why did mortgage lending go up by 42%? Well, it's because they were printing money and the money goes straight into the financial system. And right now, the, 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 because mortgages are insured by the government, it's the it's zero risk place for banks to lend out. If you're a banker and you have to choose between lending to an over uh, to, to someone to buy a million dollar home they can't afford, but which is backed up by government insurance, or to lend to a small business that would create jobs and long-term productivity, you're, there's no debate about it. You'd give them, you'd lend the money to the homeowner because even if he defaults, the bank, the government through CMHC is going to back you up. So you got a zero. You've got a zero risk rate of yeah, return. You don't get left holding the bag. And um, what, what is effectively happening with CMHC, which is the second part of this, frankly, the scam, is that the homeowner gets the premium, the bank gets the profit, and the taxpayer gets the risk. Uh, the banks are the, are the only entity in the world that I'm aware of that gets to have insurance with no deductible and no premium. The premium is paid by the home buyer and the entire loss is paid by the taxpayer with no deductible for the insured party, which is the banks. So this is like a perfect system. And we don't, the Europeans don't have this. The Americans are getting away from it because it's a massive trillion dollar moral hazard. Whenever you separate risk and reward, uh, then you get massive risk taking. Right, because people say, I, I don't have the risk. I just get the profit. Yep. Yeah, collectivizing private losses, which is about as, as bad as it gets in terms of government policy. Thank you very much, Pierre, for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. It's been a pleasure. We'll have you on again Great shortly. to be with you, David. Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio right here on the Big Talker FM 1067. Uh, it's going to be a great program. We're broadcasting live from Davos, Switzerland, and the World Economic Forum. Hello and welcome. I'm one of your hosts, Yael Ososki, Consumer Choice Radio, and I'm joined, as always, by my very reliable co-host, Mr. David Clement. How are you doing, David? Doing well, doing well. We've spent the week here in the mountains. Uh, interesting, interesting uh, content all week. Looking forward to talking to listeners about what's going on and what the takeaways are. Yeah, I don't know how many good uh, radio programs we're going to have coming out of Davos. Certainly not with our opinion. 